This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 446. Thanks for tuning into the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. Stephen Fennec here. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. Here's what we've got for you this week. Do you know how many hours you spend each day looking at your phone? We've got some research results and you will be surprised. The new iPhone feature that's going to stop apps tracking you and Apple expands its Find My Networks to third-party devices. In the Tech Guide reviews, we take a look at the Sonos Roam Go Anywhere rugged speaker. We'll also check out the personal breathalyzer that can tell you if you're okay to drive. And we'll also run our eye over the affordable Kaishun 4K Android TV. And your tech questions will be answered in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Are you looking at your mobile phone right now? You're probably listening to this podcast, perhaps on your mobile device or or not. Well, there is a lot of people who spend a lot of time on their phones and we saw some research done by reviews.org. They surveyed more than a thousand Australians of all ages and all backgrounds and the results were quite surprising. Would it surprise you to know that the average Australian spends 5.5 hours a day on their phone? I was surprised by that. And as techie as I am, I probably spend more time looking at a computer screen than a phone screen. But uh, I don't know how, how you would fare with that. Is that an accurate assessment? Are you How would you assess yourself? Are you a heavy user? Are you a Generation Z that spends more than seven hours a day looking at their phone? Or are you more a baby boomer who would spend about 2.9 hours on your device? It's an interesting question because there's a lot of parents probably, a lot, a lot of you listening right now have your own children and they're old enough now to have their smartphones and you, you, if it was up to them, they'd be looking at their device 24-7. So uh, what rules are there in place at your house for proper screen etiquette, for the proper screen time? How, how, how long is enough? That's the big question. I think we're, we're in a situation now where we've got data plans that are, have generous data allowances on it, unlimited talk, unlimited text on our phone plans. So we're, we're looking at it using our devices. Of course, we need them for our work, but we also we're using them to check social media, finding out information, we're using apps, maybe playing games, taking photos, and the big one, consuming content. We are on the move and our that's why smartphones have such large screens nowadays is because they're a place where people enjoy content and if you have a decent sized screen in your hand then you can enjoy that the experience is a little bit better so this is the this survey it it comes as no surprise i think australians we love our phones and we're we're very close to them but the 5.5 hour daily average of screen time for an australian user that is this equates to 33% of our waking hours. So if you take that out a bit further, in an average lifetime, 
we're going to spend almost 17 years of our lives looking at our screens. That's all, that, that translates to 145,800 hours, which is a lot. Now, it comes as no surprise, I mentioned earlier, Gen Z. So that means if you're born between 1997 and 2012, that makes you Gen Z, you spend the most time looking at the displays, uh, your screens, and that screen time is an eye-watering 7.3 hours a day. So that's that's nearly, that's more than 33% of, you, of your day. And again, as I mentioned, part of that is due to the fact that phone plans now have these enormous data allowances, and we're on Wi-Fi with, with connecting to broadband that has unlimited data, and also have, we have unlimited talk, unlimited text. Millennials are next up. They're, uh, they're, if you're born between 1981 and 1996, you spend, on average, 6.7 hours a day. And if you're Gen X, and this includes me, you're born between 1965 and 1980, you're stacking up a healthy six hours a day of screen time. And this is, these are average, okay? You might be thinking, oh, no, I don't spend anywhere near that much time on my phone. These are on average. You may be below average. You might even be above average. Older Australians were only looking at their screens for 2.8 hours a day. And we call the people the silent generation. So I think that that um, refers to when silent movies were around, I'm assuming. The people who were born anyway between 1928 and 1945, 2.8 hours a day. And if you're a baby boomer, baby boomers were born between 1946 and 1964. They spend 2.9 hours a day on average looking at their screen. So uh, no no shocks there. If you're young, you look at your screen more than, more than people who are old. Very simple. And I think too, and again, parents listening to this, their children know nothing different. Their their child who might say your child is in their early teens and they they've known they don't know a life without smartphones, without mobile devices and apps. So to them it's as natural as a, the tree growing outside your window. And their expectation is they should be able to look at that and use it as often as they want. Now, I know uh, in our household, when my kids were a bit younger, we used to have rules around how, how and when and where you could use your phone, and dinner time's a good example. So if you're if at the dinner table, don't have any, no devices, and even if we, I remember when I used to take my kids to, we'd, we'd head over to see my parents or my wife's parents, and the rule was... No one take out their phone. Talk to your grandparents. I don't want anyone texting or looking anything on the were there to visit them. So don't be rude and pull out your phone. Uh, so I think as a parent, there's a challenge there to set set the right example for your child. It's no no point you telling them, look, you're not allowed to have your phone at the table, and then you pull out your phone and start doing your your own stuff at the dinner table. Uh, that that's a bit tough. But I think that there is there is a way to teach your child about the proper device etiquette, and that 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 goes a long way. I think it, it, teach them that there's a world above that five inch screen that they're looking at that you need to look around. The uh, other thing too, there there is, look, if you really consciously want to reduce your screen time, how do you do it? Well, there are a lot of non-screen activities, of course, that you can read a book, jigsaw puzzle, crafts, maybe some exercise, ride a bike or go for a run or whatever you happen to do, go down to the gym. 
And other, personally, other things that I do uh, that take me away from screens, I've recently, and yes, I'm a Queen's Gambit viewer, and yes, I've gotten back into chess. So I've been playing a lot of chess lately. I've, uh, I, I bought a computer chess set so I can play against another person or against the computer, so on a real board. So I'm not looking at a screen. I'm using real pieces, a real board. Uh, the other thing I've been doing lately is building Lego. I'm a big uh, Star Wars fan, as probably you all know, and I've started uh, investing in some Lego Star Wars Lego sets, and that that is another great off-screen activity as well that uh, that that, uh, that I enjoy doing. The other thing you can do is if you love working in the garden or working around the house, then uh, that's another non-screen activity you can do. But it, it is it is really hard; it's, it's unavoidable. We do need to look at screens occasionally, uh, and sometimes more often than not, because we're working, we're, we're doing homework or studying, whatever we need to do. And of course, you need your device to do that. But I think, like everything in life, moderation is the best approach. Uh, these were really interesting stats, and they were from reviews.org, which we've, we've published on Tech Guide. If you want to see all those stats for yourself and see where you fit in, whether you agree with them or not, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. In the coming days, there's going to be an update to the to Apple's iOS operating system. And this update, which will be iOS 14.5, also will be an update for iPad OS 14 as well, iOS 14.5, is a new feature that will allow you to control whether dart whether your apps track your data. Uh, the, the new feature is going to be called App Tracking Transparency. And what it means is that developers will be required to ask the user for permission before tracking their data. Now, the data tracking, A, it's been going on all the whole time. B, now, yes, we know about it. C, now you can do something about it. Now, to be clear, the data that's tracked is not is not personal information. It's not your name, your address, your phone number. These, these are your habits online. So where you look at, what you like, what you buy, these little data points are what makes you a – paints a picture of you so that advertisers can direct ads that you're more likely to respond to. That's all, that's all data tracking is. I'm sure every one of you listening right now – has looked up something online or gone to a site, done things online, and that information has followed you across to Facebook and Instagram and all these other platforms. I'll give you the example. I, I spoke earlier in the previous segment about taking up chess again. So I've been doing searches for books and chess sets and chess computers and various things like that. And so you'd expect, and you'd be right, that all these ads for chess-related things are now popping up in my feed. So if I turn into uh, into my Facebook feed, I see there's a, a, a Kickstarter project for this new smart chess board, and uh, I get a, all these little pop-ups for books and things like that. So that's just one example, which I'm sure you've, you've experienced yourself, where whatever you're searched for, whatever you're interested in online, is now part of the ads directed towards you. 
Now, the tracking data is a big industry. It's it's a nearly a two hundred and thirty billion US dollar industry. So we're talking, we're not talking anything small here. Now, up until now, not many people understand the complexity of this large and pretty much closed off, cloaked industry of data tracking. Apple uh, is, with this new feature, is giving customers, as part of their privacy controls, Apple really prides itself on offering customers transparency, privacy, and control of their data. So as part of that, Apple now require the, the, the app developers to give you the option of not being tracked. Uh, so a pop-up might appear to say, allow whatever app to track your activities across other companies, apps, and websites, and it'll tell you what your data will be used to do. So in, in one case, it might say your data will be used to provide you a better and personalized ad experience, which is what I described a moment ago. So you might not want, the, you might not want to be tracked in that, that particular t- time. So that, that's totally up to you. So once this update happens, you'll be able to then choose the apps that will require your permission to track data. Now, the data is tracked and collected and sold and auctioned, and these all happen in like milliseconds. This is this massive industry that's happening online. Uh, so having this kind of control, if you don't want to be tracked across various various sites, you can do that. So in fact, the Safari browser on uh, on Apple products has had this 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 feature for some years now, where it prevents you being tracked by your data. It also prevents another another. This has been around for a while with Safari. It prevents your device from being fingerprinted. So instead of tracking your data, there are ways for your computer, your device to be fingerprinted. So it knows your device. It might not know you, but it knows your device is connected to various sites and done various searches and then assumes that the owner of the device is is behind all of those searches and, and everything else. And that, that's called fingerprinting. And that's also a way that, that data is being used to track your what you do and what you look at online. But that is, that also has been prevented now if you're a Safari browser user on a Mac. So um, this, this I think, what I really like about Apple's move here is that it, it builds awareness. I think knowledge is power in the situation where up until now, people, yeah, we kind of knew that data was being processed and tracked. So here is a way now for you to not only know that it's happening, but also to prevent it happening if you're not comfortable with it happening. And as I said, this is anonymous data. It's not your name, your address, your phone number. This is the fact that I like Star Wars, that I like South Sydney, that I'm interested in chess now. I'm into astrophotography. So all these things that that you, that identify me as a customer, as a consumer, is what this is about, not my personal information. Personally, I don't care if an app tracks me. I don't mind seeing those ads. It's some I've actually bought stuff from those suggested ads. So, um, it, but it's up to the individual. I think. Giving having the choice, I think, is the story here. Uh, a lot of people might not be might not be bothered to ask the app not to track them. Some might want the app not to track them. Now we have a choice. You want to read more about the app tracking transparency feature coming to iPhone? You can check that out at techguide.com.au.
While we're on Apple, uh, there's some news about their Find My network, and I'll share a story about how I use the Find My network. Uh, but the basics here is that Find My, up until now, has been a way for customers to locate their their iPhones, MacBooks, AirPods. Apple devices, iPads, the whole the whole bit. So basically, once you sign up, once you register your product on Find My. So you normally, when you have your Apple ID, you do you turn on Find My so that wherever your device is, it can be located. Uh, so up until now, that was uh, that was limited to Apple products. Uh, so you can see whether if you know you've been lost, or God forbid, if they've been stolen or you've left something behind, you can now you can use that feature, the Find My feature, to locate and keep track of those products. Well, now this has been uh, is going to be opened up to third-party companies, so third-party products, including products from Belkin, Chipolo, and Van Moof. I'll tell you about those actual products in a moment, but this is a, a big deal because it is going to allow customers who have an iPhone, of course, and an iPad to track these other products that are not that are not Apple products but can still track them on their find my network now find my is really interesting the the whole thing is it's part of the made for iphone program and and it, it gives the accessory developers now the ability to connect an existing or a new product to the find my network and these third-party products also must adhere to very strict privacy protections as well uh, but these third-party companies can now take advantage of ultra wideband technology uh, in a lot of the u1 equipped apple devices so you can get actually more precise and directionally aware experiences here now the products that are going to be included uh, are going to be belkin's new sound form freedom true wireless earbuds the Chipolo or Chipolo, I don't know how to pronounce that, the one spot item finder, kind of like a tile, and the Van Moof S3 and X3 e-bikes, although these e-bikes not yet available in Australia. But imagine that, having a bike that you can track on Find My. So the whole, hey, who stole my bike? You can track it now. And that person who stole your bike wouldn't know. They wouldn't know that it's on your Find My, uh, on, on the, the Find My network. Um, so that, that, I think, is a bit of a breakthrough. The Find My app, now how it works, it makes, you can locate your devices on a map. You can even play a sound to help pinpoint its location. So once you put a device into lost mode, it'll lock the device and display a contact number and a message for anyone who happens to stumble across it. Now, how, how this work, the Find My Network is a crowd-sourced network. That means that the millions of Apple devices that have Bluetooth turned on are all helping ping and detect these missing devices nearby and then reporting the location back to their owner. Now, if you're the owner of one of these millions of Apple devices, you're not even aware your Apple device is doing it. It's all anonymous. No, nothing comes back to you, but it uses the just the, the sheer breadth of Apple products across the country to help ping if there's any nearby devices. Now, this process, by the way, is encrypted end-to-end, so it's anonymous to everyone except the owner. So only you can see it. Now, I've got a story to tell about Find My. It helped me get my iPad Pro back. And I'll tell you what happened. I was I landed, this happened a couple of years ago. I landed in Sydney from the US. I was traveling with Qantas in their business class section. Now, anyone who's traveled Qantas business class, you'll know that in the business class seat, there is a slot 
I think on the right side of the of the seat where all the magazines are kept. So the Qantas magazine and everything else, the the safety information about the plane is all in this this slot on the right side of the business class seat. Now, being me being the clever trousers that I am, thought, oh, I, I'm going to put my iPad Pro in there. Really smart workplace to store my iPad when I'm not using it during the flight. So what happens? I land back in Sydney and go home, go through customs, get home and realise I've left my iPad on the plane. And I've immediately fired up Find My and I've seen, I see that the plane is still at the gate. Like I was home probably an hour after I landed. So the plane is still at the gate. So I immediately rang my contact to Qantas and looked up baggage services and I finally got through to someone. I said, look, my I was on QF11. I was in seat 11E or whatever my seat was. My iPad Pro is still there because I'm worried that they, what they do, they turn the plane around, it goes back to the US and, and, and it could be lost. So I've quickly run Qantas. I've put the device into lost mode, so it had a, a message on the on the front, and I was playing sounds on the device. They had sent someone onto the plane, and I had displayed my phone number on on the on the message in lost mode, and. The person, I get a call on my phone saying, oh, hey, mate, I've got your iPad. And I was so relieved. And he goes, oh, thanks for playing that sound. I would never have found it if it wasn't making a noise. So that's that saved my, the iPad Pro. I had to, they took it to baggage services in the terminal, but they, it just, it really saved, saved my, any, any other way. I wouldn't have known where it was. It would have been a lot more difficult to locate. But in this case, uh, the result was uh, a positive one for me because I got my iPad Pro back and it, it wasn't lost. And this is the experience that you guys can have if you have a, already if you've got Apple products, but also now if you have these third party devices as well. Uh, it could be a lifesaver. It's uh, I was real. I was relieved to get the iPad Pro back because I, I do use it a lot, and I didn't want to um, didn't want to have to uh, explain how how it was lost. It anyway, it was a little bit embarrassing, but. I got it back. That's the bottom line. I found it, and it was all thanks to Find My. I was really worried it was going to be heading back to the US, and then God knows what would have happened to it over there. But I did get it back. The story did have a happy ending, thanks to Find My. And the good news is, too, that the Find My network is expanding. If you want to read more about that, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. There's been a rapid increase in cybercrime with constant data breaches, online scams and ransomware, just to name a few. Norton's all-in-one cyber safety solution, Norton 360 Premium, now comes with dark web monitoring powered by LifeLock, which helps notify you if your personal information is discovered on the dark web. It also includes device security and secure VPN with bank-grade encryption to help keep you private, online, plus a password manager, PC safe cam, and more. With Norton's award-winning security and globally trusted protection across 50 million customers, rest assured Norton 360 Premium with dark web monitoring is the all-in-one protection for your devices and data. Norton 360 Premium is available now at leading retailers. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. We're going to kick off the reviews this week with a product from Sonos. This is the Sonos Roam, as in R-O-A-M. Roam, as in venture out and go places. Roam. And it's appropriately named because it is a go-anywhere speaker. It's a rugged speaker, IP67 rated, thanks very much. So it makes it dustproof, fully waterproof. 
Uh, it's 16.8 centimetres tall, weighs in at less than half a kilo, made of durable material. So if you drop it, knock it, scrape it, whatever, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fine. And the speaker can be positioned on its end or flat on its side. It's up to you. And it does sound good either way. And But it, it, that, that, those dimensions I described sound pretty small, but guess what? The sound isn't. The sound is, is pretty big. It does produce a large sound, can easily fill a room at full volume and is ideal if, you, if you're the person who a, a, has a Sonos system and B, wants to take one with you. So this is both a wireless speaker, like the traditional Sonos range of speakers, and a Bluetooth speaker. So it's got Wi-Fi and Bluetooth on board, depending on where you use it. So you can link the speaker to your existing Sonos system through your wireless network at home, and it will act and sound like another member of the Sonos family at home. But if you decide, hey, I'm heading to the beach or I'm heading camping or whatever, you can grab the roam and connect it via Bluetooth to your device, and Bob's your uncle. You can be hearing the same sort of Sonos quality, and, and there is some amazing quality on board. There's two Class H amplifiers and tweeters, and it, it sounds sounds remarkable for such a small product. And, of course, you can link your existing music services like Apple Music, Spotify. You can even choose between Google Assistant or Alexa so you can control your speaker. That's, that's your choice you make within the Sonos app. And you can also stream Sonos Radio and access live broadcast radio stations as well. So plenty of choices for content. But this is a nice speaker to take with you wherever you go. Sound quality, as I said, is remarkable for such a small speaker. The other cool new feature too is a feature called Sound Swap. So say you brought your speaker home uh, from the beach or wherever you happen to go and you plonk it down at home and it happened to be you, you happen to be listening to a particular song on the speaker. If you press and hold the play pause button, that would activate a feature called Sound Swap, which lets you move the sound to and from nearby speakers, so you can actually swap that swap that around. So uh, a really handy handy little feature right there. Uh, as I said, two class H amplifiers which are tuned to the driver and the speaker's acoustic architecture. It also has a feature that can adapt to its orientation. So if you're listening to it on its side, or you happen to switch it to to the uh, to the end, it's it's standing upright it will optimise the audio based on that orientation, also based on whether it's connected via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, if it's a matter of bandwidth, and also the actual content you're listening to. So it's doing all of this on the fly to provide you with the best audio experience. So really crisp and clear sound. Nice level of bass too. I quite like the level of bass you're getting out of the out of the Sonos Roam. Uh, one thing about it, uh, it is a little expensive. It's $279. Bucks. Uh, similarly priced Bluetooth speakers are around $100 cheaper. Granted, they're not a Sonos speaker and they don't have Wi-Fi connectivity to integrate into an existing system, but I think a, a Sonos customer will know and appreciate the value here. They're going to want to uh, have this in their system. This is kind of what I've described this as like the missing piece of the puzzle because Sonos speakers traditionally don't go anywhere. They're there for the home, multi-room. This is one that can get out and venture and or then take its place in, in the wireless lineup at home if you, uh, if you have a system already. 
Uh, a good start to a Sonos system as well. I'm sure people have heard of the brand. This is a nice entry-level product to get into the Sonos ecosystem and could lead to you perhaps adopting even bigger, more expensive speakers into your home because they've been around a while. They kind of they define multi-room audio. They've been around for years and have done a great job. Uh, so there's a lot of customers, a lot, a lot of fans of the brand who are totally dedicated to, to Sonos and its sound quality, its convenience uh, as well. The, the device can also be charged wirelessly. There is a, If you have a Qi charger for your smartphone, it can uh, be charged if it's sitting on that correctly. You can also buy a Roam wireless charger for an extra $79, and that magnetically attaches to the speaker so you can charge it. 10-hour battery life as well on this, so that, that's pretty impressive. So that's an all-day kind of playback. And even, even if you've got, say, half the battery left and you turn it off, there, it does go into a really deep sleep mode so that when you turn it back on again, you've hardly lost any charge. So you don't have to recharge it from scratch again. Uh, it's available in two colours as well, shadow black and lunar white. Goes on sale on April 20, which is next week. Pre-orders are open now, as I mentioned, priced at $279. So uh, a little more expensive than a small speaker, but it does have a lot of other features. does have Wi-Fi on board as well as Bluetooth, and it does have another feature as well, the Sonos brand and the Sonos audio quality. Our full review, if you want to check it out for yourself, is available right now. You can read it at techguide.com.au. I don't know if you've ever seen the show RBT. Have you ever tuned into that show? It, it never ceases to fascinate me, this show. I'm a non-drinker, just to put me to put it out there, so I can always drive because I, I don't drink. Uh, but there's a lot of people, uh, as I've observed on the show, on RBT, who are not very good judges of how much they've had to drink. Uh, normally you hear uh, the driver saying, oh, I only had a couple of beers and whatever, and they do the test and they blow, they blow 0.2 and they're four times the limit and they're, they're always surprised. They're thinking, oh, wow, that's a shock. It, it, it's, uh, it, it's an interesting situation there. But there is a product that can help you avoid that situation. It's called the AlcoSense Nexus. AlcoSense is made by Andatec. They're a company that produce all kinds of uh, devices. One of them happens to be the AlcoSense Nexus. I have reviewed a previous AlcoSense version that was a lot bigger than this. This is a really small device. It's smaller than a deck of cards. It's 10.5 centimetres long, 5.1 centimetres high, uh, wide, and, and 1.7 centimetres deep, so really small. It, it's the size of the really small Nokia phones you used to buy uh, in, in, the, in the late 90s and early 2000s, early 2000s probably, the little Nokias, they were tiny. Uh, it's smaller than an iPhone, way smaller than a deck of cards, so it is pocket size. Uh, it does have a professional-grade fuel sensor on board, weighs just 82 grams, so this is tiny. Uh, same fuel sensor, in fact, that you would use, that would be used if you were to have a, a roadside breath test, say you're pulled in for a random breath test, uh, you they would pull out a device that uses the same professional grade fuel sensor that you can find on this product. So in terms of accuracy, you can rest assured that it's probably as accurate as the roadside devices being used by the police. It comes with five spare mouthpieces, so you put stick one in the side, blow into it, and if it 
it's if you want someone else to blow into it, then you can probably change the mouthpiece. There's a few spares. Uh, it's powered by two AAA alkaline batteries. And how it works, uh, very simple. You attach the mouthpiece, blow into the device for a few seconds, and then you hear a click, and that means that the sample's been taken, and then the analysis is going to begin. And then after a few seconds, your level of blood alcohol is displayed on the screen. It gives you a figure, and then underneath it says, there's a percentage sign, and then it says BAC, which is blood alcohol concentration. So... Uh, it was, again, I'm a non-drinker, so every time I blew into it, of course, it's going to say 0.0, but I did have a mate over, and uh, they had had some wine and uh, a couple of glasses of white, maybe a glass of red, and I I just said, look, do you mind if I, you, I'm reviewing this product, do you mind if I, if you can just do a breath test? And they said, sure. I said, how, and I said, before I did the test, I said, how do you reckon you, are you, you reckon you're right to drive? And they said, yeah, I think I'm okay. I, I should be right. Anyway, I, I did. we did the test, and lo and behold, the person blew uh, 0.19 as their blood alcohol concentration. So uh, that's that's well over the limit. And they were surprised. Wow, they, they didn't realise. And I think there's a lot of people, again, I refer to uh, the uh, the RBT show, there's a lot of people who seriously misunderestimate the amount of blood uh, alcohol, their level of blood alcohol. And there's several factors here. I understand that apart from the sheer amount of alcohol you drink, the other factors are whether you've had any uh, any food and the other other thing to take into consideration is the person's size. If you're a big person, then perhaps your, your body can handle a bit more alcohol. The concentration will be lower. But if you're a smaller, shorter person, then that has an effect as well. So trying to guesstimate how much you've drunk is like a carpenter trying to think oh no she'll be right it looks about two meters long i'm going to cut the wood here and but you, you just never know uh you you you, you of, of course this is something that a driver you get caught with over the limit you you could be if you mid-range low range high range it could cost you your license could cost you money from fines and uh, all kinds of it could cost you your job if you, if you can't drive so potential potentially life-saving for yourself for others on the road so th- that's not to be underestimated as well uh, the other thing with the Alco, uh, the AlcoSense nexus is it does have a companion app now it works by itself so without the app works fine you get your readings but with the app, it adds a whole new level of accountability. And by that, I mean that every time you pair the app, so when it's paired to the device, when you're taking your test, so the app, the app's open, when you're blowing into the device, it gives you like a guide on how long you've got to keep blowing for. Then it takes a photo of you doing the test and records the time and the date and the location so that you can say, right, an official, a test was officially done at this time, this location. Here's a picture of the person doing it. So you can keep track of up to a hundred tests uh, of from the through the app. Now that that's one way of keeping track of your drinking habits. Whether you know you 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 can see how often you are over the limit. So this is like a good a good way of looking back at your history. But the other part of it is that it can also be used by parents and friends who want to ensure their loved ones are not drinking and driving. So you may, I'll give you the example of a parent with their their child, they may have borrowed the car, whatever. The parent can say, listen, 
are you okay to drive? I know you've been out with your friends. Are you okay to drive? I'd like you to send me a test, please. So the app is called iSober. Funny. iSober is the companion app. So what you can do is you can do your test. Uh, then you can send the test and it'll have your photo. So they'll, they'll see a photo of you taking the test so they know that it was you doing the test, not someone else. They'll see the time, the date, so they'll know that that was an, a, a legitimate test that you did. So you can send that to them to prove that, you have, that you're under the legal limit to drive. You might be, I don't know, you might have a friend who's had maybe a history of drink driving and you're concerned for their safety and this was maybe a product that they purchased to keep themselves accountable and safe. You could ask, hey, mate, are you okay to drive? Are you sure? Why don't you look, do me a favour, just for my peace of mind, please send me a send me your uh, one of your tests so I can just make sure that you're okay to drive. Otherwise, I'll come and pick you up. You know, there's that. that's the conversation you can have. So that's another way for you to use this product. Uh, the AlcoSense Nexus, it's 549 bucks, but I think what price can you put on your own safety? Um, it's available from the Andertech website, which I've linked from Tech Guide. Um, it, it, it really, on its own, again, as I said, works perfectly. But with the app, I think it makes it an even more powerful solution because it takes it beyond just testing and turns it into a record. So you can track, learn, and possibly change your drinking habits if necessary, and also ender that your friends and family are safe. The Andertech Nexus, uh, the personal breathalyzer, it is, uh, I think, uh, a really important product that could have potentially life-saving, life-saving features there because you just never know. I think if someone who drinks regularly um, and has just been lucky not to get pulled over, this is a wake-up call. That test we did at our place was a wake-up call, thinking, wow, I would never have thought I was over the limit. They would have got in their car if they hadn't, hadn't have taken that test. So I think in that case, could be you know, at the very least, could save your license. At the very worst, could save your life. So I think something definitely worth considering. The AlcoSense Nexus, check out the review at techguide.com.au. If you're in the market for a telly, we've just reviewed the Keishun 55-inch Series S. Keishun's an upcoming Chinese brand. They are available, though, through Amazon. So if you're an Amazon shopper, you could order a TV and it'd be your place in a couple of days. The the Keishun 55-inch Android TV, it's Series S TV, 4K, Ultra HD resolution, running, of course, the Android TV operating system, which means you got the Google Play Store at your fingertips so you can access all of your favourite ser- services and free-to-air catch-up apps, all, all your, like Netflix is built in, YouTube's built in. You can download Prime. KO Sports is another one. You can download that straight away. KO Sports isn't compatible with every smart TV because every smart TV, other brands have their own software and operating system. So that takes time to develop for that particular platform. Here you've got Android, which is available already. So you'll be able to be watching KO Sports, Disney Plus, BritBox, uh, Hey You, all these all these streaming services, just to name a few, uh, ready out of the box. You could go to the Google Play Store and check it out. Design-wise, the Keishun has a nice minimal look, very thin bezel, so nothing too distracting for what you're watching. Has uh, three HDMI ports, two USB ports, an Ethernet port, if you've got a wired connection to the internet, if your if your modem router just happens to be nearby, that's handy. 
But even if you don't, don't worry because there is Wi-Fi on board and there is Wi-Fi T2TR technology, which means it'll provide a more stable connection so there is no interruptions to your streaming services. And of course, being an Android TV, the other added feature, the other added bonus is it's got a built-in Chromecast. So you can share content from your TV or from to the TV from your smartphone or tablet. So you can cast to the TV. You might have a, a bunch of holiday photos. Let's check this out. Or there might be an app that's not available on the TV. You can put that up there as well. A really good way to share what the content from your device to your TV. And of course, Android also gives you Google Assistant. So there's a voice voice control as well to find info, control smart devices uh, of the, the, if the devices are on the same network as the TV, then you're in business. You can turn lights off and turn your electric blanket on and various things like that. More about our smart, setting up a smart home in our help desk. So I won't, won't uh, I'll keep my powder dry in that area, but the 55-inch K-Shun is powered by a quad-core A55 processor. Now, this is purely to drive the picture processing. So it's trying to optimize in real time. Now, out of the box, I've got to say, picture quality was had a lot of impressive clarity, but it lacked a bit of warmth and uh, had a bit of a, like a faded look to it. I don't know. To my eye, I jumped into the picture settings and I tweaked the contrast, the brightness, the hue and the sharpness. I sort of overcooked it a bit, a bit and came back to the TV and then people suddenly had green skin. I'm thinking, okay, well, I need to do fine, a bit more fine tuning and it kind of brought it up to the level where the colours and the, the sort of more natural looking skin tones and things were, were there. It's a shame it wasn't like that out of the box. It, it took, took a bit, fair bit of adjustment time for me to get that one right. Uh, so it, it, we did end up with a respectable picture. Uh, the K-Shun also has HDR10 Plus on board, so that's great if you're watching 4K content. Black levels, good, not great, but look, the, the inky black levels you're going to get uh, on a more expensive TV, you need to spend thousands of dollars to, to get it rather than $649 as you would pay for this TV. So this is, I think, is more a value play rather than a getting a premium top-of-the-line device. This is a, a, a very much a, a value a value offering, so you're getting a lot of bang for your buck. Uh, you still have, though, decent audio quality, so Dolby Digital Plus on board. Uh, again, if you want to take it to the next level, probably add a sound bar, maybe spend a few hundred bucks for a sound bar, uh, and 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 then if, if, if that's sort of something you're after. The streaming services, pre-installed, you get Netflix, Prime, YouTube, and you also get the Google Play Store, of course, among others. So that's out of the box. That'll work. And uh, the processor is the onboard processor I mentioned earlier is about running the picture quality, not running the operating system. And I did find at times the TV hang hung a bit, sort of between apps. You're sort of looking at a at a blank screen for for a while. I I, I timed one pause between switching from Netflix going back to the homepage. It was about 25 seconds it took for it to perform that. That that wasn't all the time, but it took up to 25 seconds on occasion. That that might not sound like long, but when you want to get out of something and start something else, it's an eternity. So uh, it wasn't always like that, but sometimes it was like that. I can't explain the difference in in why uh, I was waiting sometimes longer and other times not. Uh, that. That's uh, that's just how this this goes for the K Shun, but overall, I think you're getting some value here. Uh, really nice picture quality. If you work on it, crisp audio, really easy connectivity. So there's Wi-Fi, heaps of ports to connect things, uh, and also it's Google. So you're going to get voice control, Google Play Store, everything that comes with it, Chromecast, all built in. 
the Kaishun 55-inch TV. You can buy it through Amazon. I've put a link to the list to the Amazon page there. Uh, it's 450 bucks. Sorry, 650 bucks. What am I saying? $650, the Kaishun 55-inch Series S, $649.95, but six, let's call it $650. And if you want to purchase it, it is available now from Amazon. If you want to read our review and check out the photos of the Kaishun 55-inch TV, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, work, gaming, video calling and more? And what happens if you're doing all of that at once? When you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Are you ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out more at netgear.com.au slash best Wi-Fi. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk is brought to you by our good mates at Belkin, belkin.com forward slash AU. If you want accessories, cables, you name it, earphones, they're now releasing. Belkin is the place to go. Uh, today, I thought we'd talk about, I get asked a lot, you know, people taking their first steps into creating a smart home. I think it's fairly intimidating for some people, but uh, the I thought we'd talk about the Connect Smart Home range. This is a, a, a sub-brand of Laser. This is an Australian company, been doing business in Australia, selling affordable technology for more than 30 years. And their Connect range of products, uh, cover the breadth of smart homes so that you can, whether it's to improve your security, your efficiency, or just added convenience, they've got a product that can do all of that. So it starts can start for as little as 10 bucks for the Connect Smart 5-Watt LED bulb. So if you want to just try that out, it connects to your Wi-Fi, you control it on your phone, boom, yeah, you've suddenly got a smart device in your house. Uh, if you've got a smart speaker, this works through Google or Alexa. So if you happen to have either of those speakers, you can incorporate these Connect products into that ecosystem as well. And you, then you can build on that. So you can build on that system in the future. You might have want to try different types of lights. They've got LED strip lights. They've got fairy lights. All these things that you can play around with and control through your device. So there's an app that you run on your phone. You can set schedules, turn them on and off. Uh, there's smart switches as well. So uh, here's one scenario. Imagine connect your electric blanket to a smart switch and rather than you having to get up and turn on your electric blanket, you pull out your phone, boom, electric blanket on. We've got winter coming up. It's getting a bit cool. Uh, a great way to use that as well. The other thing you can do, connect it to your appliances, uh, your fan, your iron, whatever. You can check to see if those devices are on. Turn them on if you want them. Set timers, schedules for them as well. Uh, so really good convenience. If it's if it's more security you want to improve, there's a Connect Smart Video doorbell. That's $149.95. They're, they also have a range of security cameras as well. So cameras uh, for as, as little as $39. Bucks, you can get an indoor security 
security camera that provides HD video. Outdoor cameras are a bit more expensive because they've got to be weatherproof. That's $149.95. So security, you've got, you can tick that off as well. Uh, you might want to know your, you might want to be more energy efficient. They've got the Connect Smart Power Board, $49.95. It's got four power points, two USB ports, and now comes with power monitoring and energy saving features. So you can, you can see what you're using and then maybe uh, you can take control over what you, uh, your energy output. The other thing too, it also works in the garden. So if you, there's the Connect Smart Home and Garden Watering System. That's $179.95. It's a wireless water controller. So it attaches to your existing hose system and you can create watering schedules, but also ensure you're not wasting water. So you can, you can take control there as well. So that's power you've saved, water you've saved, your home is more secure through your cameras and your doorbell, more convenient because you now can turn on your electric blanket from the lounge room or from wherever you happen to be. You might be arriving home from somewhere. You can make sure your blanket's on so you get into bed. It's nice and toasty. So that's just a couple of examples of how these simple products and affordable products can help turn your existing home into a smart home. So the Connect products available from Harvey Norman, as I said, from as little as $10 to get you started. There's smart switches, lights, you name it, cameras, all kinds of devices, sensors. There's a plenty there for you to build on to make your smart home even smarter. I've written a story about all those Connect products. If you want to check them out, you can do that at techguide.com.au. And that's it for this week. If you need to find out any more, you can find it, of course, at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch, please email us, info at techguide.com.au or hit the Ask Stephen button on the homepage. Uh, We want to thank our sponsors too, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with another show next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. 